beyond infinity. So welcome to another remotely recorded edition of Beyond Infinity, normally a radio program broadcast from Radio Port Phillip in Mornington, but in recent months we've been forced into our bunkers and I am talking to Dr Ian Storey, lecturer in information systems at RMIT. So let's talk about some of the possible solutions that might apply to our reliance on on fossil fuels. And and something that you've mentioned to me is is battery technology. Now you've you've got a bit of a, a look back over over where batteries first started developing back in the 1700s, I believe, and then winding up where we are now, which is considering solid state batteries. So do you want to take us through some of those changes that have happened over time? Well, going back to 1748, there were batteries that were kind of curiosities before that. You know, there's even a famous one in a in a in a big earthen jar, BC. Really? But in seventeen forty eight, Benjamin Franklin, who was looking at electricity and electrocuting himself from lightning and all that sort of stuff. Right. <laughs> he didn't elect <laughs> he knew how to how to drain off the electricity through a key. First used the term battery and battery means a lineup of the same item. So you can have a battery of people if you like. So you have a weak cell and it produces, I don't know, one and a half volts. You put four of them together and it produces six volts, you know, and that's a battery. So that term has stuck with devices that produce electricity from chemical reactions. 1859 was the first rechargeable battery. That's the lead acid battery. Mm -hmm. If there's one year that I would ask people of uh, who listened to this show to remember that would be 1859 because that was the year um, that um, the theory of evolution was published <laughs> right mm. uh, um, so it's a auspicious year to me 1859 yep. the lead acid battery 1899 or the 1900s NICAD batteries mm -hmm. were developed and these were the first batteries to make use of an alkaline electrolyte um, you know, the lead-acid battery uses lat uh, acid as the electrolyte, sulfuric acid. Right. The NICAD um, uses alkaline, and it has a better energy density. Mm -hmm. And then 1912 were the first lithium and lithium-ion batteries. Right. Uh, well, the first lithium batteries, I should say. It wasn't until much later that lithium-ion was used. Mm. So over time in the 20th century, uh, lithium batteries saw great improvements. I don't know if you remember mobile phones back in the NICAD days when you had to discharge them. And they were horrible things. They lasted for about half an hour. Yeah. <laughs> they were really terrible. Mm -hmm. And when lithium came along, um, you didn't have to discharge it fully and all of that kind of thing. It, you upset the battery if you didn't fully discharge it. And, and even with a lithium-ion battery, I think it's, a, it's, it's sort of recommended to every so often at least to, to run them completely out before you recharge them, you know, as a sort of a, a way of, of um, keeping the battery in good, you know, as, as best possible maintenance as you can for the battery, conditioning it, if you like. Yeah, I, th I think so. But by the same token, you don't want to do that a lot. If you keep topping it up, that's a lot less uh, damage to the to the battery than 
discharging fully and then recharging all the way up. Okay. okay. So so if you I don't know if you if you discharge at ten percent five times uh, or ten times that's a hundred percent right, but you will probably do less damage than if you discharge a hundred percent and go back up to a hundred percent. As I understand it. All right. Well, I I think I'll have to adjust the way that I've been operating because that's I've been following a different policy. But I'd have to say that that I don't seem to have had major battery problems as a result of that doing that. Um, Particularly with an iPad, which we 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 regularly you know because it doesn't get doesn't get turned off. It stays on all the the batteries used these days have little tiny controllers in them, Mm. and they're sort of working on dead reckoning. They're building up a list of how many times you've discharged it and how you've discharged it and recharged it Mm. um, to work out the most efficient way of running it. A a little while ago, Apple was accused of slowing down Mm. their older phones Mm. when, in fact, what was happening was the battery management was getting a bit Mm heavy-handed, slowing down the phone to improve the battery life. Anyway, there's a guy called John Goodenough, I love that name, good enough. Well, he w- he was good enough to double the density of lithium-ion batteries, right. the energy energy density, mm-hmm. and he made uh, incredible developments. The only trouble with the lithium-ion battery is that it explodes. <laughs> so the the famous was it a Samsung Seven yeah, the, or something? Yeah, the Gal- I think it was Galaxy Note Galaxy. Seven. They got, they, Galaxy got, Note. They, they got banned from aeroplanes because it could explode in your luggage. Well, all current lithium-ion batteries are prone to this. Mm. It's when it's charging, the lithium ions want to follow the same path as a previous lithium ion. The way they charge and discharge is magic in itself. But through the liquid electrolyte, through the gel, they're following a path followed by other lithium ions. So they start to build up a path from one of the electrodes to the other. When that conductive path reaches one side to the other, then you get a huge amount of current, huge amount of heat, and the battery can explode. This problem of dendrite forming is a, is a huge issue with the current generation of, of lithium cells. So they have to sort of wind back, make sure they're cool, make sure they're not um, used with too much power. They're still amazing. They still can can drive a Tesla at, at ludicrous mode. But the amount of energy has to be wound back to keep them safe. So an older smartphone, for example, which has got a lithium-ion battery in it, once you get towards the end of their life or they start to get that sort of build-up of, of memory, if you like, they can start to run really hot. I've noticed um, on an older iPhone that, that I've, I've used that it, it, if you're watching, say you're watching a video on it, it can get so hot you can't touch it, which, which is just a worry. You kind of go, well, that to me is just too hot. You know, I'm going to stop using it. So I, I don't know whether this is a, a particular fault to that particular phone, but you know I have noticed that older ones, which have you know done a lot of cycles of discharge, recharge, they can get like seriously hot. I mean, it could be because of the battery degrading. It sounds like it because if if you've noticed it getting actually hotter over time. Yeah. Then yeah. Definitely. Definitely. I has, I, yeah. I noticed that my laptop in behind where the battery is can get screamingly hot, mm. really hot, mm. and then fans will cut in. Yep, yep. 
The management of the cooling is, is an important thing. This is one of the differences between the different cars. Some of them have air cooling, which is really just passive cooling. Some of them push the air through it, proper air cooling, and some of them have liquid cooling. Right. The ones that have liquid cooling apparently last the longest. Is that the Teslas that have got liquid cooling? How do they keep cool if they're doing 0 to 101.1 second? How does that uh, work? I'm pretty sure the Teslas have liquid cooling from memory. I think the Leaf doesn't. So it's been given a, a bit of a slamming from, from the press because of that. There are others with air cooling which seem to do okay. So I think it's probably, it also comes down to the design of the air cooling. Right. But you need to, to take up so much space from, from batteries because the actual energy density, well the energy density of current lithium ion is 250 to 600 watt hours per litre. So let's say 600. It all depends on how much power you want to get out of it. There's a trade-off. You can deliver fast power, but you can't, you can't have lots of energy behind it. Do you see what I'm saying? So you can quickly deliver power, but you can't have lots of energy in the design of the battery. And, that's, and I think that's the reason why a Tesla will give you amazing acceleration, but in terms of top speed, they're not doing 350 kilometers per hour that kind of speed because to get to that sort of speed you actually need high kilowattage which you you know it, it, those it, the output is limited so you get great acceleration and they're not slow they've still got a reasonable top speed but it's not it's not crazy fast so petrol engines generally go faster than electric engines at this stage I didn't know that um, what I do know is that petrol has about 10 times the energy density as Tesla's batteries. So Tesla's batteries are about 6,000 watt-hours per litre, whereas petrol, when you discount for inefficiencies, is about 4,000 yeah. watt-hours per, per litre. So you get a, a huge amount of, of energy for the same amount of storage space. Right. The benefit is that you don't need a huge engine with a huge gearbox and all that kind of stuff. The, the engine is quite small and so they put the batteries they just plate the batteries down low they've got an amazing low center of gravity yep. compared to an ordinary car yep. uh, so th their performance that way too is incredible mm. but they have to they just have to fill it up with batteries and so they're quite a bit heavier than than petrol cars usually i think it's pretty much the so, underside of the car so so you know the, yeah the, the, literally pretty the, much the, all the, of the floor of the car is the batteries the good news is though that the batteries are getting more efficient so with the development of solid state batteries they've increased it from 600 watt hours per litre to 900 mm -hmm. and that was john goodenough again who was one of the one of the people responsible for this idea of solid-state batteries. But it's right. been Samsung who has really actually developed such a battery. Mm, mm. Not for commercial use, but a proof-of-concept battery. Yep. The lithium ions, instead of floating through a liquid, now have to pass through crystals, the holes in crystals, Yep. in the crystal structure of other atoms. So you've got one atom passing through a, a solid composed of other atoms. So with those, um, there was a uh, Samsung uh, released a paper March this year, high energy, long cycling, 
all solid state lithium metal batteries blah 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 so high energy instead of 600 watt hours per liter 900 watt hours per liter and long cycling so they can cycle more than a thousand times yep and after that they slowly begin to degrade but yeah absolutely amazing batteries if you then can get a range of a for a car wanting those batteries of say it was the range was say at nine or nine hundred or a thousand kilometers per charge and the battery will allow a thousand cycles then that's a million kilometers range for a car which is very very good you know if you if you had a car it'd be more likely the car would the rest of the car would fall apart before the before the battery gave up if that sort of technology comes of age and and, and comes down in price that's a game changer that would you'd reckon would make electric cars ubiquitous well even today on may 8 uh, lexus produced a car the lexus ux 300e i don't know what that means but <laughs> it has a warranty of 10 years and 1 million miles so it's absolutely amazing yeah yeah you know you don't have those issues with it with overheating and exploding that, that apply with liquids so there's other benefits as well not just not just the, uh, the number of absolutely cycles. yeah mm. the nice thing about the design is that dendrites don't form mm. or at least they're so unusual that that there's no chance of them blowing up virtually mm. somehow the lithium ions actually move closer and closer to the actual uh, terminal the stainless steel terminal and bond to it right as part of the charging up process so they 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 more want to flatten out rather than form dendritic pathways so that you won't have any problems like the galaxy note again exploding and being banned from aeroplanes which was a, a big problem uh, for an earlier samsung product you'd have cell phones like smartphone batteries that would last much longer so instead of having about a day or, or say probably i don't know eight or ten hours of talk time on a on a new smartphone before your battery dies you might get several days of performance without needing to recharge so phones would benefit things like pacemakers which uh, rely on batteries that people have to keep their hearts ticking reliably they would benefit as well you know you might have a pacemaker you don't ever have to change the battery there's all sorts of advantages of having batteries that that don't have that uh, requirement to be recharged so often absolutely Uh, you know it's quite exciting even though they're really only still in development stage and it's proof of concept one of the big negatives is they're very very expensive because they use silver and zirconium right a a full-size battery could cost as much as the whole car yeah. Also, because they're solid state and they're kind of porous, they're brittle. So they need putting them in a car where there's lots of shocks on them could actually cause them to, to crack and break. I mean, the developments are happening so quickly and they're happening all over the world. You know, these research teams are developing, are making new and wonderful developments all the time. So it's quite exciting what could happen with these solid-state batteries. There are a lot of people who have, have the opinion that, that they probably will be developed for commercial use and will replace the current kinds of gel batteries that we have. Mm. Then you kind of move away from needing big things like coal-burning power stations because if, you have, if factories have huge and, and efficient solar arrays on the roofs of them, um, or you have big solar farms out in the desert because Australia's good for that. In fact, you, you may have heard of there's a thing called um, 
I think something like Solar Cable. Um, it's a it's a plan backed by people like uh, Twiggy Forrester and the the guys behind Atlassian Software in Sydney. This is the idea of generating power up near Tennant Creek, I think it is, a massive solar farm up there in, in the outback, and then sending it by cable up to Singapore. And I think there's actually a deal being struck already to supply outback solar to Singapore and then elsewhere in, in Southeast Asia following that. A deal has already been struck. Yeah, yep. I think it was done last year. Oh, I did and, not know. And, it, no, was, and it, was very, it was very oversubscribed. So there were a lot of people, as soon as they realised that there were some big names behind it and that there was a customer already, a big customer in, in Singapore keen to, to say, you know, to take the power, um, it, it suddenly took off. That's an interesting one to keep, it, keep an eye on. But yeah, the battery technology is it's still vital, isn't it? So you can have great, efficient solar panels, and solar panels have got better and better. I think they're up to something like 25% efficiency, which is a lot better than it used to be. The average is about 18 right. for for solar panels on your house. Okay. They, they have achieved 44, though, in research, 44%. Right. Fantastic. So, yeah, absolutely. So there's... You know, it's happening as we speak. You mm. know, so then the batteries, um, the, the battery is the thing that's key, isn't it? Because if you can capture that energy, then really the whole the, the surface of the planet is a soul is going to generate energy. No. Well, and I think those people who can afford to get solar panels, obviously that proportion of people has risen in Australia. Mm. Those people will soon be able to also afford batteries. Right. It's just around the corner. You know, it really is. Because of the saving um, they've made because of they're not paying the normal um, electricity bill. So they've saved money over time. Beca- because of the savings they will make. Yeah. Yes, yes. Not a, not, a lot of places have a feed-in, which is a lot less than the amount you have to pay for power from the grid. Right. So there's a lot of people looking at the savings from actually having your own battery. Mm. And currently, it's on a knife edge. You really would be struggling to make money unless you had a good tariff, a good government incentive. Yep, which which they used to have better incentives in Victoria, and I think they've wound them back. Yeah, yeah, they have. Some people have still got them, and they're 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 winding them back very slowly. Mm. But it is now reaching the point where people are looking at: Can I save by, you know, building with a battery and and with solar panels? And I think we're reaching that point pretty soon. Mm. It's a great thing to watch. And, you know, there's just so many reasons for this to be really, really important. I guess that the major one, which we touched on before, is, is climate change. That the, the, the problem with relying on, on fossil fuels is, is so big and so, so much of a, a problem. So there's a, bit of a, there's a bit of a race, really. In Australia, I, we've, we've just got mixed signals being sent by governments. You know, there's disagreements between state governments and then also federal governments that maybe they haven't had long enough. There's, you know, that three-year cycle of, of turnaround for, for federal governments is not enough to lock in long-term policies on this. Under Rudd and Gillard, we had a, we had a carbon tax in Australia and, we've, and we've, we've wound it back. So mixed signals being sent to industry about how to invest and about what what things you can count on, you know, what, what is the environment for making changes. Those things need to be clear. Yeah, at, at least en masse. I mean, some industries are realising where the change is heading already, and so they're making plans. Mm. So, for example, um, there's a, 
one of the shopping centres on the Nepean Highway. I probably can't mention it. <laughs> but if you look at their roof, it's got 100 solar panels on it. Mm. So they're feeding in a, an enormous amount of power into that store and quite possibly are, are down to a zero expense to the power company. Mm. So that that was a com- no doubt a completely commercial decision. With this particular company, I can't think of it being made any other way. There are examples of people making decisions anyway, or businesses making decisions regardless of, of lack of direction from government. Yeah, yeah. It's exciting. It's all exciting. I mean, I, I'm not an expert in this area. I'm trained in physics. I'm not an expert in, in the costs of solar and, and that kind of thing. But it's just so exciting to live in this era when these changes are being... In regard to renewable energy, because the changes are happening so quickly and the technology is moving so quickly, mm. it's really fascinating to watch. Yeah, and, and you know how quickly standard engine cars will, will be phased out and potentially become illegal. You know, I mean, look at how quickly governments moved on, on lead in petrol. You know, the, the, the requirement you had a catalytic converter uh, and, and a lot of cars that just basically disappeared from the roads were forced to disappear from the roads because of those changes. Looking forward from now, it might be only 10 years before they say, okay, well, that's everything prior is going to be phased out. Uh, don't bother keeping that car or don't bother buying that car unless it's sort of future-proofed, which will mean electric. So it could happen really quickly. And I do find it amazing, as we said before, how, how a company like Tesla can come along and, and can have such an impact on very established, the likes of Toyota, Volkswagen, Porsche, which is owned by Volkswagen. They're coming out, you know, they're all belatedly joining the party and bringing out electric cars. And, and some people have said, oh, they'll have an advantage because they're actually better at mass producing cars. You know, they're better at making cars. And in fact, Teslas have parts that are sourced from Mercedes. You know, the switch gear, the stuff that's not related to the engine or the, or the, you know, the, or the batteries, but other, other things just needed in a car, you know, door handles and vents and you know, other things. They source those from, from European manufacturers in some cases for Teslas. Those companies, the idea was that they'd, they'd eventually would catch up, you know, when Porsche finally got its act together to take on the, you know, the Model X. Either that process is very slow or... Uh, it doesn't seem to be reflected in the reality. You know, if you look at the share prices, you say, as you were saying before, I mean, I, I hadn't actually noticed that. I think it's staggering that, that Toyota has got a significantly lower market cap, I think about $175 billion versus $224.2 billion for Tesla today, which is just amazing. Speaks volumes about you know, what the future holds and, and the sort of belated game of catch-up that, that Toyota and Volkswagen and other big manufacturers that have dominated for so long are having to play. It's hard to be a, a soothsayer at this point in time. You know, a lot of that is built on hype, isn't it? But a lot of it's built on the reality of the future technology. And you do see car makers around the world. I think VW has replaced one of its petrol cars with a completely electric car. Mm. And there are other car, other car companies jumping on the bandwagon. I think Porsche has a high-end electric car. Golf, for example, which is a very popular mass-produced car right around the world. There's, I think there's you know, over a million produced every year. There's an electric version of that out now. These companies are making the, the shift. That'd be a nice car, yeah, electric version of a Golf. Yep. For me, the, the developments in the technology are quite stunning. And the 
potential for the, these problems to re be resolved <laughs> by the technology rather than by the politicians it seems to be to me manifesting itself in various ways mm. I just hope we have enough time with climate change happening so rapidly for this to iron itself out properly mm. I'm not so sure that that is the case there's cause for optimism not just excitement about the technology but optimism about the future yeah well look if we can get we've got to get past COVID and we've got to not have a war these are other things that that might overtake advantages that that happen with renewable energy and with battery storage and real benefits of technology but let's hope that we do get those things resolved so we can enjoy the benefits of a, a cleaner environment and look forward to a day where you know we can consume power in a responsible way without this sort of deficit without this lurking build-up in the background of a price to be paid down the track for what you're doing now i guess that that's the thing that we're we're trying to avoid as you say there is the potential for that with with things like solid state battery technology with um, solar panels that are in improving in efficiency and hopefully with just greater awareness around the world governments and populations we need to look after our world we've only got one it's unlikely we're gonna enough of us to get on a rocket to to make any difference going to mars <laughs> <laughs> when, when they lifted the ban on people seeing each other my wife and i took a drive up to oliver's hill to have a look over at the city mm. Because I was, I was interested to see if it had the, the usual red haze over it on a work day. Mm. <laughs> it was hard to tell because there was still haze, but I didn't notice the red colour. Yeah. I think it was just ordinary water coming off the bay. But And if you look um, in the bay, if you walk for, go out for a walk on a pier and look into the water, and I mean, I, I look, it might be just a seasonal thing, but the water in the bay looks very clear to me. Oh, you know, does it? Fewer, oh, wow. fewer fishing, you know, fewer, fewer ships coming in and fewer people out there on boats and maybe, you know, less less stuff winding up, you know, mm, out, the that's mouth, interesting. out the mouth of the, the Yarra into the bay. I heard of a town or a city in, in India up near the Himalayas, but, you know, several hundred kilometres away from that massive mountain range. And these people had never, they actually didn't even know, a lot of them, that, that, that this huge mountain range could be seen and because of the shutdowns and industry being closed for a while these people were just gobsmacked because on the horizon was this massive you know <laughs> majestic and the himalayas like living next to mount fuji and not being able to see it that's right yeah absolutely wow yeah wow. so so and and they i think they're saying there's dolphins in the in the canals of venice because wow. because that's all been shut down. So I think that, I mean, if nothing else, the environment has had this incredible reset and it might, if, if nothing else, it at least shows people that recovery is possible and that things can be changed. I mean, imagine what, you know, I, I saw some photos of Bali, which very sadly is, you know, is, is, is virtually um, empty, virtually like a ghost town up there. And their beaches are looking beautifully clean compared with what they have done. Probably because there's not so many Australians. Well, absolutely. <laughs> or people from China. There's a lot of Chinese up there too, Ian. There's, there's people from all yeah, over the world. Yeah. But, but yep, China, Chinese and Australians, I think, are the two among the two biggest uh, individual sources of tourists. I mean, it's very sad economically because a lot of people are really struggling. But, and I mean, wouldn't you love to be a, you know, an 18-year-old or a, a you know, early 20s surfer up there who's been stranded? Um, who's unlikely to die <laughs> if they get COVID or they might have had it and they got over it. And, and you've got the place to yourself. There's no, you know, no, no one to drop in on you on the wave. 
and you can stay in a seven-star hotel for $250 a month. I think we're going to be locked down in Victoria. You know, the rest of Australia, you know, Western Australia would be yeah. a nice place to be right now. I think there's... Myself, I don't feel the lockdown is so bad mm. for me. I'm quite happy where I am. Mm. I live with a very nice person. I have computers to entertain me endlessly. Mm. I can do a little bit of exercise. I understand some people aren't in a fortunate position and they're lonely yeah and i really feel for them i really feel for them Mm. but um, i wish people would recognize that it is possible to be in this situation and still be upbeat you know yeah it just seems that there's too many people talking up the negative aspects of it yeah it's dramatic isn't it it's it makes for good television you know but it is possible to be upbeat at the same time i certainly feel that way i Maybe the reason is I don't have to travel on the train every day. (laughs) (laughs) If you've kept your job and if you haven't been sort of directly economically impacted. Yes, if you've kept your job. I think that's a a very big part of how you feel. Yeah, I should say not just people who are lonely, but people who've lost their jobs. Yeah, Mm, mm. I feel very much for them. Yeah, and I just think that people who've who've literally got isolation fatigue now, you know, you've seen seen it in America, you know, they've broken out of isolation too early. They've had riots and, and... protests about being in isolation because they don't want to lose their businesses or they're sick of not working they're sick of accumulating debts or, or being kicked out of housing all that and i think the same sort of things happen, you know, happening in victoria is that people have got isolation fatigue you know they, they did their yard the hard yards in in uh, march and april the last thing people were expecting is that we'd be going back again in fact looking like it worse than than it was then you know because of the community yeah, spread but i mean you know that this was possible because we talked about it months ago, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, we did. We threw back and forth the possibilities and one of the possibilities is that unless you entirely get rid of the virus, it just keeps popping up. It could keep going for five years. I don't know. I'm I'm not an expert. Some of this is easy to predict mm. because it's just numbers. I thought America, for example, would have between... 100,000 and 200,000 deaths because of their approach Mm. based on just the numbers Mm. and I was surprised unfortunately how correct I was Mm. I hope I'm not correct about this but unless we stamp it out fully it can it can keep coming back and it can keep coming back worse as well yeah mutating I read recently or two things that were I thought were pretty horrific one that is that it's mutated and the and the new version is nine times more contagious than the original version. That was one oh, thing, and and the other. I'm putting my hands over my ears. And, and the and the other <laughs> one, Ian, was that 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 they're saying that there seems to be a body of evidence to suggest that this is an airborne virus. So in other words, it's not just holy moly. It's not just spittle or or um, fine particulates that come out of your mouth when you cough or talk or sneeze, but actually that you're breathing releases it into the air and it circulates around um, so it's and it's a horrible yeah it's a horrible i mean if it's related to this one mm. and it destroys your your lungs as you're dying mm. uh, it's going to be very terrible yeah this is a, probably not a very popular thing to, to say but the elephant in the room you know when you talk about climate change and and uh, damage to the environment is is overpopulation you could argue we've we've reached plague proportions as a species and maybe this is the world's way of correcting that. And you could say that war is the same thing. I actually had a, a leading climatologist tell me that, you know, even though that, that a war would be very damaging to the environment, it'd get rid of a lot of people. And that would 
perhaps outweigh the damage, the physical damage done by the war itself. So different ways of looking at it. My lecturers, when I was an undergrad, would say to me, um, a war could solve the problem. Mm. And I, I kept thinking, are they being ironic? Or are they, are they being sarcastic or, or what? But yeah, from a scientific point of view, it is a dangerous position that we're in. And I think we're overpopulated. Mm. But I don't know how to solve that problem. The um, well, there is there is no way of, there's no way of solving it unless you have well, a mechanism that reduces the population. The one-child family was a solution, but how draconian is that? Yeah. Absolutely. And, and with all the, know, yeah, that's right. I can't imagine a, a society where they where they mandate that because the the only children that were born were males. There's now all these stories about young women being trafficked because there's there's not enough wives to go round. Let's leave it there, Ian. But uh, okay, but th- okay. Thank you very- That's an, a nice upbeat point to finish on. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would at- like to say though that you can be in quarantine and be upbeat. <laughs> yeah, yep. you don't have to be downbeat about it. Well, I think this is it's it's sort of saying you didn't know about meditation, or if you didn't know about philosophy, or if you didn't know about mindfulness, you know, now is the time to embrace those sort of things because if you you know these are, these are important tools in your arsenal of of maintaining a a positive outlook absolutely yeah all right Ian. well great to talk to you thank you very much thank you terrific thanks for listening we'd love you to review us on itunes it's a great way to let others know if you've liked our podcast and don't forget to follow us on social media beyond infinity rppfm on facebook or infinity rpp on twitter